Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guests, it's important to me that I start first by thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to encourage you to continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. If you enjoy an episode, this episode, or the podcast in general, it would be really appreciated if you were to share the show with your friends, your family, with some other people you know, and even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, why not follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page? So thank you again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is sincerely appreciated. My guest today as part of the ongoing Rain member series is Mark Coran. Now, Mark is a longtime Rain member, real estate investor, and an entrepreneur. Some very brief background is that Mark graduated from McGill University with a bachelor's degree in computer engineering. With the foundation of education that he has, combined with his now many years of experience, Mark's evolved into a highly effective entrepreneurial and adaptive leader who's become very comfortable in both the business and technical aspects of supporting shareholder and company objectives. Some of Mark's specializations have been in high growth startup and turnaround situations where he spent an entire career as a participating founder and team builder of startup companies. As a real estate investor, Mark has investments in Alberta, Quebec, ranging from residential to commercial, buy and hold and flips. But in addition to that, his true passion lives in helping others to succeed. He is a cash investor advocate, loves analysis, as well as financing, investing, protecting and placing funds, all of which has helped him establish a track record for double digit returns for his partners, his investors and for himself. And today, Mark joins me on the podcast to share just a few of the insights he has gained and the lessons in business and life that he has learned. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, Mark. Mark Coran, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire podcast. Great to have you on the show, pal. Thanks very much for having me here. I'm really going to enjoy this, I think. Well, you know, it's always just about, it's just a conversation, Mark. So ultimately, you're a RAIN member, you're an accomplished real estate investor, you're an accomplished business guy. And that's really what we're going to talk about, you know, in the context of seemingly ordinary doing extraordinary, uh, you certainly fit into that realm of things. And uh, so we just want to have that conversation talk about your journey. I prefer to always start to give listeners 
a context for you know who my guest is by a simple what do you do if somebody says to you and you had a 30 second or 120 second elevator pitch somebody says mark what do you do what do you do mark well i'm a uh, father a husband father of two i'm a uh, recovering employee addict if you will uh, moving into entrepreneurialism more and more um been a computer engineer for 25 years and uh, now moving a lot more into real estate and so on and trying to combine the two all to uh, help people with uh, their goals in other words make money for myself and my partners now a computer engineer so you got engineer brain which can be you know i i often uh, joke about engineers because in 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 the space of creative they're creative in a very engineering kind of way so it's awesome but it in the world of real estate we see that engineers can be those individuals that hit it out of the park and build amazing amazing portfolios but i also see where they sometimes get in their own way because they're analyzing it to death let's go to real estate right away so you're doing uh an, you, you you have an engineering background and you're doing real estate Tell me a little bit about where you're at in the real estate world as you've entered your uh, business of investing in real estate entrepreneurial journey. So what are you working on these days? Uh, these days, I'm working in more in the commercial real estate uh, market. So uh, I'm very much enjoying uh, taking a bunch of uh, people's money, putting it together and buying something bigger than we could all do individually, and then uh, managing that. So, for, you know, I sort of grew up through joint ventures and residential work, and, uh, and I'm, I'm applying it to the commercial ventures because then you can you know buy multi-million dollar properties buy some nice big uh, 25-year tenants or 15-year tenants and uh, and just enjoy some passive cash flow which turns out to not be so passive a lot of the time but you're so in theory you're enjoying passive cash flow for many many years now you said something there that's interesting and i want to talk about commercial real estate investing but you know did you cut your teeth in the residential single family world or is that where you got you know, had, you know, got a number of your lessons or what's your background leading up to this? Well, I grew up in a medium-sized town in in, uh, in Quebec City, in, in Quebec, uh, the province, um, and moved to Montreal when I was 17 years old with my brother because, uh, you know, the, the English and good colleges were there. So um, my parents bought a duplex there and we, you know, learned how to uh, manage the duplex during that time. So we would let the tenants, uh, you know, uh, the prospective tenants see the unit upstairs and so on. So that was my early exposure to real estate. And I found it fascinating that people will be paying down a mortgage. But then again, my parents told me, uh, you know, get a good job and uh, do very well and you'll get the gold watch after 35 years. And I followed that for quite a few years until about eight or nine years ago where I said, okay, let me see about getting back in the real estate world. And at that point, I, just, I, I joined Rain, for example, and I decided to buy my own um, homes and rent them out, homes with, with you know, suited basements and so on. So I dabbled, dabbled and actually still own a, a, a few of these homes that I put together with partners and um, did the long flip, uh, you know, sorry, sorry, the renovation and then and then hold and so on. And then I found that going in the housing market was had great return on investment, but the returns on time itself weren't that great. I needed to, you know, add a zero or two. Uh, to accomplish the goals that I wanted to accomplish in my, in, the, in my days. So I moved from uh, residential into bigger commercial properties and so on. So I don't know that that's, well, that's, that's a, kind of my plan. Okay. So this is just your view, but you know, I, I'd like to hear your view of the world because you did something that some do, but not actually many. Some talk about it, but never 
take it on, which is, okay, I understand the fundamentals of investing. I understand single family, buy, hold, maybe renovate and flip. Those are all things. But you said, that's eh, it's good. The returns are good, but not the best return on my time. I needed more zeros to it. Now, that's where many real estate investors kind of fall away. The numbers get too big or intimidating or complex. But what's your view of it? How is it that you were able to take it on or what are you seeing or hearing? Because you know many uh, RAIN members and other investors. What do you think gets in the way of people taking it on that you were able to surpass and get past? Well, long story short, uh, I'm in a fortunate position. Uh, I'm, I'm a computer engineer and my wife is a family doctor and we live our lives well beneath our means. So we had uh, extra money to, to start off those first few properties. So the risk that I saw in our lives of going and putting $100,000 down on a property or so on is different than a lot of the other RAIN members who, who are, uh, you know, many of them are struggling to put the 100000 together and maybe taking challenges. So there's that first step of, of uh, how comfortable you are and how much you can afford taking the risk. The second one, which goes back to what you were talking about, about being an engineer, is uh, exactly that. The paralysis by analysis was more my challenge. I would sit there and review pro forma after pro forma. I would understand the math perfectly, but could never find the property that would have absolutely zero risk to it. So this was the challenge for me. Uh, so at some point, you just have to dive in both feet and say, okay, I'm going to take this challenge. So whether the challenge is a monetary one or a psychological one or an analysis one or so on, taking action, everybody has their challenge. And I can tell you what that first property, I was in Edmonton in the middle of February. My, my, my family, my two little kids and my wife were down in Florida, and it was minus 14 and two blocks away, there were prostitutes walking up and down the streets, and I was about to do a $540,000 uh, purchase, and I was terrified. And when it came time to inspect the building, the inspectors couldn't get into one of the rooms because there were drugs going on in one of those rooms and so on. And this was days before I was about to sign. So not only had I not matched all my the things that I wanted to do before then, even when I went to see the property, it got even more challenging. Uh, in terms of getting over some of these obstacles that you have in your brain. But I can tell you, for me at least, nothing beats just taking action. And with that one, I, I did take action. And on that particular property, uh, my partner and I have been cash flowing at 10% for the last uh, six, six or seven years on that particular property. Not a lot of appreciation, but great cash, cash flow, which is where I followed the RAIN model. Let's, let's at least lie in the comfort level that you will have cash flow and that you won't be pushing more money out of your uh, out of your bank account. So that's uh, that's one of the ways that uh, you know you just have to act. You just got to jump in both feet. When you started getting into the space of commercial uh, and you're you're commercial not multifamily res, is that right? Yes, yes. And so your your offices and that kind of thing. And it's not even light industrial, it's truly commercial office space, would you call it that? Um, retail office space. We have a McDonald's, we have a, a liquor store, we have a pet store, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. So when you started getting into that, why weren't you intimidated by the numbers? Because I know that often people see $3 million, $5 million, $10 million projects and they just stop. They just can't wrap their mind around taking it on. Because of your background, how were you able to kind of get over that hurdle or was it ever a hurdle for you? Did the numbers intimidate you at some point, Mark? The numbers did intimidate me. 
with that first property, what I what I didn't mention earlier is that I went and got a rain partner. So I said, look, I don't know everything there is to know. I don't have the experience. So let me go and find a joint venture partner to invest in and with. So I put up the $100,000. He put up his time. And there you had it. We had a partnership. The same thing happened in the commercial world. I wasn't confident in everything. I didn't even know what a cap rate was at the beginning, for example. So I heard all this terminology and so on. I could look it up all I want and learn the, the, the formulas and so on. But then uh, in that particular, uh, that particular realm, I went and found a partner in Edmonton and uh, helped uh, um, gather some of the funds to go into that one and watched exactly how he did it. And as I watched how he did, I said, well, you know what? That's not so bad. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a mortgage and uh, it's, it's the same as a house and, and so on. The question is, do I believe in the risk? Can I assess the risk? Uh, and, and so on. So, so I learned by going and grabbing partners and paying for the education through being a joint venture partner or a partner in the corporations and so on. And then once I had learned all those things, then I felt, uh, you know, free to fly like Dumbo without the feather. I didn't need the partner anymore. I went and started purchasing my own properties and raising my own funds. So you were the money partner on your first couple of deals. So you brought the cash. What you asked for is expertise. You be the expert. I'm going to follow along. I'm going to make sure that I'm understanding what you're doing. And therefore, that's how you move forward with that. Just out of curiosity, where do you do you remember the area that you're in in Edmonton? You're describing it, and it sounded like Alberta Avenue to me, but it might not be. It might be just off it. Delton, Denton, something like that. Mm-hmm. So just just east of the uh, of of the, the the Institute of Technology. Okay, just uh, east of Nate. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Okay, cool, exactly. <clears throat> not the nicest neighborhood, no. but the cash flows quite nicely. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you're into commercial. When you're talking about money partners, and this is another part of it, is that you started attracting capital to invest in these deals. Now, was there, did you just do that through friends and family, or how did you actually start meeting people that had capital? Because these are, I mean, I I see all the time where people are going, I can't find money. And so you're finding money or you're finding joint venture partners money partners. What Do you have a, a special approach or what's your kind of philosophy on it, Mark? Again, I, I do have a little bit of luck in my life uh, being, uh, being married to a physician and uh, my sister-in-law being a dentist and my brother-in-law being a surgeon and so on and them being in those circles and, and all these physicians, they all have common problems. They need to put money. They, they start up corporations. They put money into those corporations, and then they want to invest it. And in 2008, it happens, and they lose 20 or 30% of their uh, portfolio overnight. So they're looking for alternative ways to invest. And they, everybody loves real estate. Whenever you're at a party or whatever, people always talk about real estate. So I have this small captive market of, of well, not so captive, but I have a small market of, of physicians that know what I do amass, you know, $100,000, $200,000 over a couple of years and, uh, and need a home for it. And, and I just say, hey, do you want to be on my mailing list? And whenever I have an opportunity, I send it out. They see that mailing list and sometimes they jump in, sometimes they don't. So you're, you're actively having conversations about real estate and you tap into a source because of your connections through the medical world with your wife. Is that become your primary go? So there's there's the pond that you're tapping into on a regular basis, and and that seems to work for you. Absolutely, that pond actually uh, hasn't dried up yet. 
which maybe has made me a little bit uh, lazy and doing some more sales and marketing on the outside. But uh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to start uh, moving up a little bit or, or expanding the number of projects that I do per year. And uh, it would be interesting to increase uh, the, the potential size of partners. So what would you take, what would be next for you? So when you think about scaling and where you want to go, what do you envision is next for you? Well, actually, at the moment, in the immediate future, uh, my wife and I are actually building a, a medical clinic uh, for 25 doctors. We're bringing the pharmacy into it. It's really interesting to see how the pharmacy and the medical clinics work together to give uh, proper services and so on. So I'll be working on that. But what's interesting is, uh, as I'm moving more into my entrepreneurial world, I'm also moving in, into, uh, or back into the entrepreneurial world, I should say. I'm moving into startup organizations. I'm involved with uh, FitSet uh, in Edmonton, which is a, um, a health membership kind of uh, company, and we've opened FitSet Ninja Warrior and so on. So I'm going to be expanding into that. So my thought process over the last uh, few years has been to simply be an entrepreneur that sees opportunities and go out and works with people and, and makes things happen. So take me back. Okay. So we're kind of up to speed with what some of what you've got going on today, but take me back a little bit, Mark, you know, you follow the journey that your parents kind of laid out for you that made sense, get a job, get the golden handshake and, you know, boot in the butt on the way out the door, all of the stories that come with that. And then you had a, whatever shift you've had where you said, that isn't enough for me. How did, how did that journey begin for you? Was there, cause you, were your parents entrepreneurial at, at any point? <laughs> they would say no, but I would say yes. They're both university professors, but when we moved to Montreal, my brother and I, and after my sister and my other brother, the four of us were living in a, in a big quadplex in, in Montreal, uh, they became entrepreneurial. They just fell ass backwards into it. Uh, so they bought, a, they bought a quadplex right beside the subway, which they still own to this day 25, days later, uh, 25 years later. They bought a few other duplexes around just just for the heck of it, because they were enjoying it, and they became entrepreneurs, even though my father's got a pension and has the golden handcuffs, uh, you know, or had them. So he had the golden handcuffs, and now he, he, he's become an entrepreneur. And I don't know if he'd, he'd call himself an entrepreneur. He just calls himself a guy who put together a few properties and uh, for, so his kids could go to university. So what was the inspiration for you to get on a journey of being a business owner or building a business? What was what was the inspiration for you to take that on? Yeah, that's a really good question. I remember distinctly when I was six or seven years old, I could go to the corner store and there were other kids that couldn't. So I would go to the corner store with a nickel and I would buy five bubble gums, five gums. And I would come back and I'd sell each of those five back to those kids for a nickel each. So I'd turn my nickel into 25 cents. So when I was five years old, I did that when I, you know, five or six or seven. So I had access to a drug because, you know, candies are drugs for kids. And I became a drug dealer, a candy dealer to those kids, which was a lot of fun. When I was 17, I wanted to go to Daytona Beach because much music or MTV had come out. And, and I really wanted to go down there, but I didn't have any money. So at my college, I worked hard to put up some ads and so on and create a spring break trip to Daytona Beach. And, you know, I had a fistful of cash and a trip to Daytona Beach and drink on the, uh, on the beach. So I always had these parts in me. And even when I graduated from university, I had a job off at Ericsson at 1995, uh, you know, for, I forget what it was, $50,000. And I had another one for $25,000 at a startup company. And I looked at the $50,000 offer and it came with a 65 page manual telling me what my next 
you know, you know, 35 years that Ericsson was going to be management track. And I said, I don't want to know what I'm going to do for the next 35 years. I'm not ready to retire. I'm 22 years old. So what I did at that moment is I, I took the other job, the, 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 the quote unquote shitty job and went into e-commerce and so on. So I was always taking these routes that, that weren't like that, but I was in the backdrop of my parents being university professors, my older brother go, having a PhD and Mark is dropping out. I, I did air quotes here. He's dropping out after a computer engineering degree, uh, only doing a computer engineering degree. So I always felt a little bit different outside of my family. And then a few years back, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which just really, really triggered me on on having assets and so on. And uh, and then I was looking around on how to do it. And and the, the real estate uh, showed up for that. And, and that's where I jumped in. And, you know, now I'm in real estate. I've got that business going and I'm, now I'm looking for more opportunities. But so, yet in the middle, there's a big gap of 25 years of hardcore computer engineering being a, an employee, which I'm still trying to kick that habit. When you say kick the habit, what, what is your tendency in, in that world? Are you, so you're still working, are you still working part-time as an engineer for somebody or, or is that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm working part time for a company called Wirecard in Europe, which I, which they bought our startup, which I was a founder. I found, we founded a company in 1999. We sold it about 10 years ago to Wirecard. They asked me to stay on for three, four months. It's been 12 or 13 years because I get to sit here at home and work and be with my kids, which is my number one priority, actually. So to be able to take them to school and do all that kind of stuff. But I see the writings on the wall. My kids are 15 and 16 in three, four years. Uh, you know, they'll, you know, They'll all be driving and doing their own thing. And my wife and I have had a Saturday night uh, alone, just the two of us, for the first time in years, for you know, a few times in the last month. So I'm already seeing that I'm going to be more free of my uh, hands-on fatherly duties. And uh, I'll be able to immerse myself back into the entrepreneurial world. And now I'm coming from it more as an experienced person than as a 22-year-old uh, neophyte. So what lights you up about you know the world of real estate or business? Because... You're in a position where you've built lots of assets. You come from a high income background. You're doing all of the things right. So what inspires you to carry on? Why, why do you continue on the journey? What is it that lights you up about it? Or is it just about the money? And I, I'm, none of it's right or wrong. I'm just, I'm just genuinely curious. What else am I going to do was the very first answer on the tip of my tongue, right? What else am I going to do? I think it's, it's having fun. And yes, it's about the money on one level. The money is the scorecard, but the money is not the end goal at the end of the day. The end goal for me is, is yes, having the money and the freedom and having fun, but I'm enjoying, really enjoying helping people. The best time of my year or my quarter, whatever, is writing those dividend checks to the partners. I'm proud when I write that. It means I've succeeded. We've done something really, really well together. They took a bet on me and I paid them back and they get to have a more stable lifestyle because not only am, am I being uh, somebody who's building assets that pay back for myself, like rich dad, poor dad, but I'm doing it for other people as well. And those people are grateful for it. And now they just write checks and they don't even want the dividend checks. They say, oh, Mark, you know, just grow it more, grow it more. They're enjoying the process. So what more fun could there be to help people achieve their freedom and their life and love their children the way they want to? This is what drives me. So when you think about, love that explanation, by the way, Mark, I don't want to step over that. The second thing is rich dad, poor dad. I don't think, uh, I've had very few guests on the show where rich dad, poor dad wasn't a very 
like a true catalyst for many of them going on their journey of not only entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur, but also investing in real estate. And I know that was for Stephanie and I, that was a book we read back in about 2000 and it really, or maybe even earlier, but it really set me off on the business side of it because I've been uh, in business for many, many years, but also on the real estate side of it. So it was really a, a, a kind of, if you, for those of you who are listening who's never read, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's an older book, but it's still relevant today. I mean, it's still so powerful that way. Let me ask you this question, Mark. I don't want to make any assumptions or I don't think it's fair to assume that I mean, you tap into a pool of the medical world, you know, high income earners with cash that they got to figure out what to do with and put away and do all the things that doctors have got to do or medical have got to do. But that that doesn't guarantee a result in terms of you approaching somebody and or having a conversation around real estate. So if you're giving some lessons or some tips to others that are trying to raise capital, aside from the pool called doctors, I mean, there's lots of high income organizations out there, but how is it that you think you presented yourself that they would jump on that and see it as an opportunity? Well, success begets success. So when they see what it is my wife and I have built, I think that that starts off right away. So one recommendation I would make is if you are having success, then it's, it's important to let people know in a humble way that, that there is success. Not that I'm going around and shouting it from the treetops, but uh, people sort of know. If you're educated about pro- about real estate and so on, and uh, you, you talk about it in an educated fashion, people get attracted to that as well. Um, one of my, uh, I, let's call it a sales technique for lack of a better word, but I talk a lot about the risks of real estate. The more I talk about the risk, I think the, the stronger that I look. Too many people I found, and I've been pitched many, many times, and I'm still always getting pitched for uh, for people to for me to invest money in their projects. And um, the world is rosy is not a very good thing for the money partner. That the world is beautiful and it's all going to work out fine. Um, that there's nothing that scares uh, money away farther, faster than that, in my opinion. Of course, there, maybe there's a, there's a whole segment of the market that loves to hear that, and maybe they're not my customers. Maybe I'm pushing those guys away. But, the people, but what I like to hear and what I think, believe people like to hear is this is the project. This is how it can go wrong. This is how it can go right, and it's going to be somewhere in between. If we do our job well, it's going to move forward. So there's, a, there's some humility and some recognition that the world is a brutal place and that you're placing a bet essentially. So I think that helps in the, in the sales environment. Uh, one of the other things that I do is I invest alongside all of my partners. So, you know, if we're raising a million dollars, for example, for a project, you know, I'll put in a significant percentage uh, of that. So I've got skin in the game. The skin in the game goes a long way with partners as well. You know, I've been approached by many people who have no skin in the game and asking for a finder's fee and asking for a back-end fee and so on. And I can tell you as a cash uh, side, uh, you sort of say, well, I worked so hard just to put that money together. I'm going to put some in your pocket right away. Not that it's not valid. I completely understand that it's valid for the other side, but I've structured my entire um, money raising attitude uh, in, in that following way. And it's because uh, luckily I'm able to. So I'm going to put money with them. I'm going to talk about the risks of the project. I'm going to and tell them that, you know, we're a bunch of like-minded people. We're going to put our money together for five to 10 years and so on. I give them a long-term vision as well. Long, long-winded answer to your short question. <laughs> well, but no, but it's a great answer. It, it starts to really 
get in and hit the some of the points that both you and I have recognized and I've seen over the years, which is when you paint a picture through rose-colored glasses, although that can attract capital, it also sets up for a lot of heartache and firefighting down the road. When something goes wrong, or even if it's not a big deal, but something where there's maybe a cash call uh, for whatever reason, ultimately then you're left with a bitter joint venture partner because they weren't really expecting it. So managing expectations is incredibly important. And so it sounds like, Mark, your approach is being conservative, realistic in terms of here's what it could look like, but somewhere in the middle of that, shit can hit the fan and we just need to be able to get through it. I'm in there with you. So it's not like I don't have risk. I'm as inspired and motivated as you are, maybe even more so to make this all work. So your approach is a little bit, and that's where probably some of your background as a an, an analyst comes as being the engineer that you are, I would suggest Did that be the case, do you think? Yeah, and and my background is a poker player. Oh, you got you play poker. <laughs> Look at you! I'm learning all these new things. Every Friday night at my house is a poker game. We played. We've been playing for ten years. Me and a bunch of buddies, and I cook for everybody. We put some money. We put twenties into the pot, and we all play. And poker has been a great, great teacher. People say poker is gambling. Let them say. Let them define it every way they want. I'm not going to argue with that. But it teaches you that even if you have pocket aces in your hand, you can still lose. In fact, at a 10-person table, you start with pocket aces, you only have a 40% chance of winning the table. And it's not personal. In fact, Friday night, I lost uh, the very last card. It was me uh, head-to-head at the very end, and I had a 17% chance of getting beat. And, uh, you know, we roughly had 50% of the chips. So whoever's going to win that hand? And it came down to the very last card. He had a 17% chance of hitting it, and he hit it. Was I angry? Was I disappointed? No, it's part of the game. But a few years back, I was angry and disappointed. The world is unfair. Those cards are unfair. I got cheated out of my win and so on. And the same goes on in real estate. And when you're making offers and so on, bidding and, and countering and so on with, uh, with uh, your opponent at the time, which is the seller, there's bluffing. There's all that other stuff that goes on as well. And you develop these nerves of steel. Like, I don't care which way this is going to go, but I'm going to place my best bet. And depersonalizing, removing the emotion, which is very difficult, and I still not, I'm still learning to do it, but I'm better and better at it every single day, and poker has taught me those lessons. That's brilliant. I've never actually heard anybody talk about, but it, but it makes total sense. Get great at playing the game called poker because it's training. It's just part of a training for investing in real estate where you can actually understand, play the game, play it well, and you come out ahead. And sometimes, even if you play it really well, you're you're not going to win that hand. So I love that training analogy. You get kicked in the teeth, and it's not personal at all. It's just the life. It's just life. So you move on, and you take another bet. The only way to win at poker is to keep playing. The only way to win at real estate is to buy multiple properties and, and multiple locations. I know that Rain teaches, okay, put yourself in one little group, and in one little uh, neighborhood, and so on. But, you know, we've got investments in Montreal, Calgary, and Edmonton. So Edmonton and Calgary are down. Montreal is up. In five years, as we all know, the real estate cycle will change. They'll, they'll be up and down against each other, but I try to average them out against each other so that we have uh, overall a nice cash flow coming in. And ultimately, real estate rises all over the country, hopefully. But uh, in any one location, I like to you know, have the ship not jump up and down too much, not too much volatility across the entire portfolio. 
question that I have that I don't want to miss from your from how you raise capital. I want to go back there a little bit. And the question I have for you is what comes first, the joint venture partner or the deal? The deal. So you're a big proponent of, I've got this deal. I've got this opportunity. Here it is. Are you interested? Yes. But I need to put an asterisk beside that. The deal. And for me and my closest partners, we're able to close it without others. Let's say a project, uh, you know, needs $500,000 to close. Right. If I have $500,000, I don't need the partners, but actually do want the five. I do want partners because I don't want to put all my, my last $500,000 into that deal, for example. So you're okay. But you, so you have really what that is, is that what I'm hearing is that you have a plan B, which is if I'm going to, if I've got the deal, I don't want to use my capital, but I can, you can always get partners later, but you're always going to go to the partner first or partners first with a deal. So here it is. You're ready to go. Let's do it. Absolutely. I mean, it's important to have that plan B, that liquidity in place, but I would, but I would close the deal with that liquidity and then still keep selling that project and and bring people in to deleverage myself out of the project. Yeah. Now, have you ever done a deal? And this is so interesting because, and it, it comes back to having capital. So, you know, first and foremost, attracting capital. If you've got an existing property that you yourself invested in, it's your money on the table and getting the deal done, getting it closed, maybe even getting it somewhat normalized or within the model that you're trying to build it and then bringing in a joint venture partner afterwards. So you've, you've, you've taken all the upfront risk, all the heavy lifting upfront. Now you're just saying, okay, I've got this deal sitting here. It's handled. We've been running it for six months or three months or whatever the number is. Do you want to invest in that? Is that also an approach that you take, Mark? I haven't taken it, but it's there. It's definitely there in my tool belt. Uh, for example, I just closed a, a deal about three weeks ago, and I needed 900000 I sent out the email on, on the Sunday. On the Wednesday, I had 1.6 committed, so I was oversubscribed. So I actually had to reduce my skin in the game quite a bit. So, and I had to reduce it so much that I was a little bit sad because I wanted to have more of my capital in, in the project. So for me to sell that one isn't, gonna, isn't, uh, isn't something that I want to do just yet. So I think that situation hasn't happened to me where I've had to close it on my own and I have more capital than I want in a project. But it's definitely one of the things that I thought about. And in this particular project, it was my plan B. I was going to you know, close the whole thing with just me and one or two select partners. And then we're going to uh, divest of the rest uh, over time, you know, just by selling shares in the company, essentially. Now, as you've gone along, I mean, you, it sounds like you've created a pretty cool environment for yourself, you know, to have success. So let me just kind of ask you this question first. Now you've been involved with, with rain for a, how long you've been with a rain member now? Mark? Eight, seven or eight years, seven or eight like years. How, how I'm, I'm interested in knowing from a veteran like yourself, how important has rain been to the journey? I mean, you've been hanging around for seven or eight years, so there's got to be something in it for you, even this many years later. But how important is, was rain in what you did in your real estate investing? Absolutely important. I'll tell it one quick story. I went to one acre event, then the second acre event, and then I got tired of doing pro formas in the acre events because I understood the material, I understood the math, and I didn't want to do another pro forma and so on. 
So there were these parts where, okay, I've heard this before, I've heard this before, I've heard this before. And that was the first couple of years. And that was part maybe when I was a bit more uh, arrogant in my, uh, you know, as an engineer in Sono, I know the math, that's easy, right? But what ends up happening as I find as you, as you relearn or rehear the same lessons year after year is you see them in a different context in, in uh, where you are in your real estate learning cycle. So whereas there may not be so much tactical stuff that, that is useful to me in an acre event, it's more some of the things that you'll be saying up there or so on, and you'll say something in a certain way, and it'll trigger my thought on what I did in the last deal, and oh, yes, I could do this, and so on. So the number of Lego pieces that you have sort of accumulate over time, the ones you build yourself and the ones that Rain brings you, and then what happens is the combination of them starts to become unique. So that's one thing where the actual uh, meat and bones, the meat and potatoes of, of, of rain is there. The second one, of course, is the motivational uh, part. Uh, I do live in Montreal. I'm a remote uh, rain member, so I only get out to the Ottawa ones and maybe a Toronto acre now and then or Edmonton or so on. But it's nice to go into that uh, group of people and just see people who want a little bit more, who are working a little bit harder and uh, don't want to just go home and watch Netflix and uh, have their beer and watch guys chase a hockey puck around the rink. You know, that's not for me. But I, I see those types of people in rain. So being in those environments is also very important to me. So just for my own motivation. You've created an environment as well. Poker, I get that it's a fun night. I love the way you've spun it and said it's good training for real estate too. Totally get that, by the way. It, and now are the guys you're playing poker with, are they real estate investors too? Or are they part of the... Are they part of your real estate investing journey or are they just old friends that you're playing poker with? Ten years ago, when I joined Rain and I had poker, I was hoping there would be a lot of merger between the two and a lot of crossover. And there has been some crossover quite a bit with three or four of them. And more, not so much that I want to elevate the group in terms of real estate, but at least elevate the group in terms of our learning and financial stability and growing ourselves and so on. So what I'm seeing is people being more entrepreneurial around there. Yes, I've done deals, by the way, to answer your question. I've done deals with a, a couple of those, of those guys, and some of them are now my best friends through the poker table. If some of you guys out there, by the way, are lonely and you're 30-some and you've got a couple of small kids and you don't want to go out to a bar and make your wife suspicious, run a poker game in your basement every Friday night. She'll watch TV, you'll play your poker, and uh, don't go too late. And, <laughs> and uh, it can be very, very good for the relationship as well. Because men need to be with men at times, and they do need to spend some time together and know they're not alone. Uh, that's been, I know I keep jumping into other parts of the question, but with poker, it's more than just about the poker. It's more about pokers like real estate. It's about a brotherhood and men uh, in this day and age feeling alienated by all kinds of stuff. They, they go through the entire week. Their boss tells them they suck. Their wife tells them they suck. Their kids tell them they suck. And they come at the poker table. We tell them he sucks, but we tell them in a nice way. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody laughs and they can be themselves and they can go back and be recharged the next day and, and so on. So I find that there's a lot of that stuff that's going on. And yes, we do do business deals together and make money together, some of us. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think you make a really good point in as much as men do need to get together and, and of course that's why sports happen, you know, whether you're playing it or watching it, uh, you know, poker, you know, I think just as in a culture, men need to be surround themselves with men and be in that environment as do women. And I've certainly learned that from my wife. They need their space. They need to be able to go hang out with other women. And, but that's all part of 
looking after yourself as well. That's all the, on the other side of it. You know, bringing it back to even to business, we can only be as effective as we can be in business or often we're, we're more effective by making sure that we're looking after ourselves. And that's part of the journey as well. When we talk about creating an environment for success, it isn't always just about in the environment called the doingness of a deal or the doingness of business. The environment for success also is about how do you look after yourself? How do you surround yourself with the right people? You know, what is it that you're doing to uh, improve and make yourself and look after yourself emotionally, spiritually, mentally, whatever that might be. And, and you, in your case, poker is just probably one, one big part of it. I'm not alone is the biggest feeling that men need to have. If I can tell a story, uh, I have a best friend or I had a best friend lives up the street and uh, he was the only one that didn't come to poker. And about uh, four years later, I got a knock at my door on, on a Monday morning, the wife and kids knocking at the door. And I had to go up to his house and break into his garage where he had decided to end it and go in and, 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 and pull his, his, his cold body out and try to at least and then save myself and then go tell his children. And I realized uh, with that particular case that there were some um, financial difficulties, marital difficulties, but mostly importantly, uh, he was alone. He had, he had let himself be alone. So when I sit at that poker table and I look at those guys and I ask, how are you tonight? I mean it. How? And they know that I mean it. And many times, you know, everybody leaves at 12, 1230 or whatever. And one or two of the guys will sit back and then they'll open up and, and they'll talk about stuff they, they, they never get to talk about and so on. And that, that's the human part of life. That's the part that many times in our internet, uh, social media world, or uh, I've got the nicest car than my neighbor world, uh, we forget about these uh, interpersonal connections and that's the true success to life, not necessarily finances. Finances help you set a foundation, but to truly live life is to truly connect and not be alone. You know, that's such great advice, Mark, and an understanding, especially, you know, to your point in the social media side of it, it looks like everything's so awesome out in the world. So if you are one of those individuals that can get drawn into that rabbit hole or looking at others and going, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, everybody's better than me, I haven't accomplished enough. I think there, there's that part of it because many are actually built that way. They That's just how they're made up and social media is easy to get sucked down that kind of rabbit hole, if you will, into that thought process. But you're really conscious of it. So you've made, you have a high degree of awareness around what you need and you also have a high degree of awareness of maybe what others need. So first off, in the world of being in business, in this case, being men, is understanding that you're not alone and that others have got shit going on in their lives too. It's not perfect. It's not at, at all perfect. Everybody's got their stuff going on. And are you actually reaching out and having conversations? Because sometimes, would you agree that just stating it out loud in a, in a space where it's safe to state it is enough to just at least get you through it? Absolutely. Sometimes uh, I have a friend <clears throat> that, that went through a divorce and so on, and, I, and it was rough. And I asked him straight up, are you thinking of hurting yourself? And he says, yes, I am. Uh, but uh, but I quickly dismissed it. I said, well, look, next time that happens, you come, you give me a, a, a call, right? You, you you let me know. We go out for lunch. We do whatever. 
I don't know of many men who have those kinds of, of, of discussions, or maybe they're, they're not around, they haven't been around me so much, but I'm seeing this, this brotherhood. I've got another friend at the poker table. He wants to move to California because he's got a job offer. I think it was Google or something. And he's, he's writing down the pros and cons on his list. And one of the pros was the poker table. Right. Because people have lived for decades or, or, you know, five, 10, 20 years without that brotherhood of men that they used to have uh, back in high school or back in college and so on. All of a sudden it disappears over time if you just throw yourself into other stuff and then you start to feel alone and then things happen. It's such great advice. You know, some may hear it as being a little bit off topic. I don't. I think when we discuss seemingly ordinary, we look at the individuals and how do they actually achieve extraordinary results. And this is all part of it. You know, knowing what you need to look after yourself is an incredibly important part of it. You know, aside from the doing this and, you know, the engineer brain and, you know, doing the math and doing the performance and hanging out at rain, you know, there is another part of it and getting deals done and making offers that's in the doing this, that's in the how to, but there's also a space where we have to look and say, success is not just about getting the deal done. It's not just about getting the check. Success is, who you are in your life and how satisfied you are in with your life as well. Surrounding yourself with, in, in this case, with men who you can have conversations with meaningful, whatever that is, it's still being in that space and setting yourself up to be uh, looked after mentally, emotionally, spiritually in those kinds of conversations. So thanks for sharing the stories. I think you're really, really important part of it. Well, if I can add a note and, 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 being careful about I'll be happy when, that statement, probably the biggest killer of happiness. I'll be happy when I do this deal. I'll be happy when this is going to happen, when that's going to happen. This is called delayed life, in my opinion. Delayed. You're happy right now because you're looking for a deal. You're happy right now because you're on your way to getting to that deal. You, you can't defer your life anymore. I guess I'm speaking, talking to myself right now. You can't defer your life anymore. You've got to live it now. You can't wait 35 years for the, uh, for the watch, which I learned from rich dad, poor dad, but that's not the only place to put that lesson over 35 years. It's right now. I I don't know if this deal is going to go through, but I'm happy because I'm in the arena. I'm in the middle. I'm hot. I'm messy. I'm muddy. There's blood all over the place. And maybe this deal is going to happen. Maybe it's not, but heck, I'm living. That's, that's the key. So when you look and go forward, if we, you know, if you consider what you've got on your plate right now, you've accomplished a lot, you own a lot of real estate, you've done well in that game, you've looked after your joint venture partners, you've attracted capital. When you look at the vision for your business and building the portfolio going forward, you've got what sounds like a great building. Now, are you building that from ground up, the one that you're building for the doctors, for the medical yeah, that's going to be my first uh, development project, and I'm part- partnering with a very big developer uh, here. So again, I'm not going by myself and going to find everybody. I'm partnering with somebody who already has probably $100 million under management. Uh, I'm going to be an equal partner with the other two. That's going to be fantastic. I'm going to watch how they do it. I'm learning all kinds of new stuff about development cap rates, price per square foot to develop, how uh, to finance development projects, and so on and so forth. So that's the next phase, and that is to learn learn how to develop, which is, which has been quite eye-opening and fun. So when you look at, I mean, you're a young man, uh, you've accomplished a lot. And so when you look at where you are today and you reflect, are there some big accomplishments or some, I don't want to call them big. They don't have to be big. I, I guess, is there some accomplishments that you're 
really just really proud of, incredibly proud of that you've had, be it real estate or life or business, whatever it might be for you? No, it's my kids. <laughs> I mean, I, you're not supposed to take too much credit for your kids, but uh, they're healthy, they're happy, they're normal teenagers, they're working hard, they're student athletes, and uh, there is no bigger accomplishment than the, the, your legacy. All the other stuff is 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 for fun. So for, I mean, if we have to go into the real estate world, uh, I really enjoyed the first project that I had um, in the commercial realm. I was uh, on the Kijiji or Craigslist, I can't remember which one. I was looking at commercial properties and I sorted from high to low. And the, there was a $5 million property being sold on Kijiji. I'm like, what, what is this? And then I clicked on it. And, uh, you know, within 24 hours, I had purchased this property, which we still own today. And uh, we bought it for four and a half million. Finally, it's got a McDonald's and SAQ. I managed to raise all the money through all the partners. These people want to bring on more uh, money or capital for me to, to grow for them. For me, the accomplishment isn't necessarily the project. It's the fact that people believe in me. They're going to put more money after me, and they want to be part of my life and part of my success. And for me, that's the one that really drives me. It's not, you know, buying a Tesla or a Porsche, which, by the way, I don't have. Uh, I don't. I don't believe in fancy cars and that kind of stuff. So I just like, you know, those are my successes: being with, helping my kids become stronger and helping my uh, my partners become stronger. What role do you play in all that you've got going on right now? So you're finding deals, you're analyzing deals. Are you the driving force behind everything? So, and, and do you have support and help? Like what, what do you, because what you're describing, you know, when you talk about taking on a, a building, for example, and your first project where you're actually going to build from the ground up, you've got a partner in it all, but what are you doing in that what role? Are you specifically playing in that? So in the uh, development deal, uh, where we're going to be bringing the doctors on board and the pharmacies on board, I'm in charge of taking care of the doctors, rallying them and rallying 25 doctors uh, together to sign them under one uh, one collective uh, is a challenge, <laughs> to say the least. Doctors are flighty cats. Uh, they don't have time for anything except signing. But uh, getting them together to agree, that's very difficult. So uh, that's my role there. And my role is also to negotiate with the pharmacies to make sure that uh, we have the proper uh, subsidies in place so that they can be on board and support uh, the, the doctor's side. So that's what I'm doing in that particular project. That's my role. I'll leave the development up to the others, but I'll be watching and learning very closely. When it comes to, for example, this latest project, which is simply a buy and hold of a commercial property, I'm the guy. So I go, I find the project, um, I do the pro forma, I put the offer down, I write all the uh, the checks for things like um, inspections and environmental reports and uh, the legals and so on. So I'm taking all that risk up front, and then I uh, and then I put a pro forma, a marketing document together. I send it out or meet with people. Uh, then I raise all the funds and I, I get all the lawyers together to make this thing happen, open the bank accounts, close the deal, um, and then hand it over to the property manager, I get my bookkeeper, who's in India, by the way. Uh, that's Tim Ferriss kind of stuff. So uh, so I have my whole team to run uh, things before and after. So it's becoming more rote, more easy, because I know each step. But for example, for this last one, I do have a task list because I'm a nerd, I'm an engineer, and it was 400 deep. 
Metastasis was 400 deep to close this property. You know, so there were 29 leases. It was in a condo building. I have to read it in French, by the way. I do speak French. So, uh, so I'm reading in French and in English and dealing with all kinds of different, uh, items. So. So Does that that's give you a, a flavor of what I do. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's just interesting because people listening to this and you know, it's on the surface. Well, I did this deal and that's great, or I've done these deals, but there's there's a part of it where what do you take on in terms of responsibility versus what do you delegate? So for me, I when I'm listening to you, you know, you talked about a bookkeeper that happens to be in India. Uh, do you have an assistant that you work with on a regular basis? Is are they part of what you're doing in the? Because we get into the you know the how to kind of aspect of it. Definitely on this podcast, we have lots of real estate investors who are going, okay, yeah, but what does he do there? You know, are, are what roles do you delegate, or or do you really just take on a lot of that stuff yourself right now because you're good at it and you can do it? I'm good at it. I do it, and I shouldn't because I don't grow as fast as a result. So that's that's a known weakness. Oh, so you're you're actually technically you could be getting in the way of scaling because you're you are actually are the ceiling of limitation. I know I am. It's well, not even maybe. It's for sure. And that's one of the struggles that I'm having at the moment, to be honest with you. So that that's one of and you know let's go to the personal assistant uh, standpoint. You know I I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss. I read the Four Hour Workweek. I'm a technologist. I'm a computer guy. We don't we could talk way longer about technology and all that stuff uh, than about real estate because I'm more of an expert there. But regardless, what I, I've taken some of my technology and I have a little scan snap snap uh, scanner beside me. I, every document I have, I drop into that scan snap. Uh, thing it OCRs the document object character recognition it looks for an ID in that document if it finds it it puts it in the proper folder in Dropbox which goes to my bookkeeper so at the end of the day I don't want to touch paper I put paper into my scanner it ends up in India he does the bookkeeping for five dollars an hour and then at the end of every month all my documents are are uh, reconciled and I have nice KPIs that are sitting in front of me so rather than go and hire an assistant to do all that manual paper filing and so on I don't I don't I skip the whole step. So I'm big on efficiency, being the silly engineer that I am. But what it does is it forces me to create my own processes and write software, which I did for these things. Uh, and uh, But eventually, there's still all that stuff that I really should get an assistant to do. And uh, that's my next learning point, I suppose. <laughs> so you see, well, you recognize the gap. I mean, ultimately, you recognize it. First step in any of that stuff is always awareness, right? So... Uh... That's excellent. When you consider who you are as a leader and being a leader or taking on the role as a leader, are you really conscious about that? So in other words, are you reading, training? Is being a leader top of mind for you or is it lower down the list or is that just how you show up and therefore it is? Is it something that you, I guess, the question more directly would be, do you really consciously study being a great leader? I've read tons and tons of books over the last few years, all the self-help books. Uh, if, if you want to call them that category, I don't like to call them that category, but I've read everything from Tim Ferriss to The One Thing to uh, um, all these different books. And 
their own minds of making myself better, but that word leader doesn't come up very often in my mind, even though I know that those are steps towards it. Uh, I've also taken on some executive coaching with uh, Stephanie, as uh, Stephanie Hanlon, as you know, and that's been eye-opening as well. So I don't focus so much around the word leader as much as around uh, self-improvement. I'm a work in progress, and I'm I'm working to get there. And it's been one hell of a ride and very difficult when people hold mirrors up to you. So, yeah, I've I've been working on it. In terms of leadership, what was interesting is that we had the first, as I told you, I was working on FitSet, which is a a membership company in Edmonton. And we had an all-hands-on meeting, the 17 of us. And I was presented as the the investing partner and so on. And I'm on the board of directors. And I tried to remember back to when I was 22, 23 years old and looking at my investing partner, who was 45, 50 years old, and I saw him as a god. And then I realized, hey, that's me. They might, I'm not saying that I'm a god at all, but they might see me in that light. So how should I present myself to them? And I presented myself as empowering to them that they're here to do a great job and they're in good hands with Tim, which who's our CEO, et cetera, et cetera. So in that particular context, I took very much, I was very conscious of it. And in our all hands meeting for one of our projects, which we met for about a month ago, I'm getting more conscious that I'm the leader there and that I should be doing so with humility and a, and a nice, soft leadership approach and an educated approach. I'm not above anybody, but, hey, I know more in this environment. So let's let's do this together. I'm happy to explain anything to you. And people have seemed to have responded quite well to that. Now, I mean, you brought up Stephanie on the executive coaching side of it. So the point of, of this is not about Stephanie, but you took on some additional coaching. And has that been helpful to you? I know that Many people have, I've, I've had conversations many times over the years, uh, particularly because of rain, but ultimately people asking the question, I don't know if I should hire a coach or should I invest in a coach or what would I get out of that? So for you, when you, when you took on uh, the support of a coach, just deep into it, what have you kind of taken away from it or learned about yourself or what was the result of your coaching for you? Devastatingly life-changing. Devastatingly life-changing for you. Okay. I took, a, I took a pause so people could think about both of those two words. Devastatingly life-changing. So, I've, like I said, I've read all the books, listened to all the podcasts, and so on and so forth. At some point, you hit a wall in terms of where you're going to go next and so on. And I said, let me just try this coaching thing. Let's see what happens. And what, in, what, what for me at least, the experience has been that Somebody holds a mirror up to you and shows you who you are and what your blind spots may be and the things you haven't considered. And that's the devastating part because you've had these preconceived notions, these thoughts about your operating system, how things are working, and you've been limiting yourself the whole time. My journey is definitely not over. I'm still uh, working on myself, and, and I don't think it will ever be over, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, and I'm 100% appreciative. Devastating does not mean that I don't like it or I didn't like it or wouldn't recommend it. Devastating just means be prepared to have your world shook. For a guy like me who um, 
has struggled with uh, arrogance and ego throughout his entire life and, and, and it's slowly been decreasing over time because life just kicks you in the nuts over and over again, or you kick yourself in the nuts over and over again. Uh, and this is just another step along that journey. At the end of it, uh, humility, authenticity, uh, and being true to those around you is really where it's at, at least for, for me. And that's one of the things that coaching has helped accelerate my, my growth and my path towards uh, should I be as corny enough to say self-fulfillment and so on? Mm. You know, it's, uh, for me this many years later, I don't, gosh, I would have to go back a long ways to think about when I haven't had a coach. It's been such an important integral part of my whole life actually, and different versions of it. And I've gone through periods of time where let's say I didn't have a coach, but ultimately I always come back to having a coach, somebody that I can have conversations with who can to your point, you know, hold up that mirror, not and 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 filter it with you know through a really clear set of filters. No stories behind it. It's just they're not filtering it through any story. They're just listening and being able to to get to what it is that you're looking for. So you know, I'm a big proponent of coaches. It, it it's interesting that knowing Stephanie's uh, process for getting clients, it's I always laugh. I go, I don't know how you have any clients. Like, how do they ever even find you? And then you make them jump through all these ridiculous hoops. So that's just a husband wife thing that I tease her about. <laughs> and and she can't coach me, and so we don't even try. <laughs> she, too close. Too close. Too close. Man. Too close. One hundred percent. Because she's got her filters. As good as she is, as world class as she is, it's ultimately she sees it through a set of filters. But the point of that really is in that in your own personal development, professional development, understanding professional development comes from being really clear in your personal development on that side of it. So the more you are true to who you want to be and, and, and actually define who you are, that then starts to show up professionally in, in your world of business. Would you, do you see it that way now, Mark, as well? Even more importantly, it shows up in the family, in the family dynamics. That's even more important than the professional world because that is my motivating factor. My number one in my life is my family. It's not uh, business. Business is number two. Uh, but yes, it also shows up in number two as well. I found I don't have to try as hard. I don't feel like I feel like I have to try as hard. I use the word feel twice on purpose there. You, you, just, you just be yourself with, with the people and you have a quiet confidence that we're going to go on this journey together and, and people follow along with that. And then people want that kind of peaceful person in their lives and so on. And I, I think that's, that's where some of that has helped for, for me, at least. What was your biggest failure? If, have you had one? Have you had a, like a, a failure that just absolutely rocked your world? Yes. <laughs> and can you reflect on it now? And I don't know if you want to share what the story was, but I like to you know, hear because people are so afraid of failure, yet time and time again, without exception, in the people that I've spoke with who've had really epic failures, you know, business failures and bankruptcies and all of the, you know, really, really dark side of things, at some point thereafter, they can say, best thing that ever happened. Now, when you look at your failure, whatever it was, when you reflect on it, was it a tipping point? Was it, was it in fact something good that happened out of it? I wouldn't be who I am today without that failure. I'm uh, happy to uh, explain it. When I worked eight or nine years, as I mentioned, not going to a big company, going to a small company, and there was a very um, 
um, charismatic leader who was very wealthy, who was leading us. Uh, he was not a technologist. He actually was a real estate guy, but we were building online casinos and online payment platforms and so on. I was the founder of that company. And we finally ultimately sold to this company that I work for today, Wirecard. And I was a founder and I was expecting a certain percentage. And he simply moved the decimal point over. So uh, I had even babysat his kids and, and done all that kind of stuff and thought we had a personal relationship. And, and I know we did. Um, but uh, it turns out that he picked the dollars over the relationship when the time came right. And not an amount that was significant to him in the grand scheme of things. So I went from never having to work in my mind again to, you know, continuing to work and so on. But it wasn't even really about the money. It was about the devastation of uh, being screwed by somebody who you put you put uh, all your faith in for all those years. What was the lesson that I learned? Well, you got to get things on paper. But what it did for me is it allowed, and by the way, I reeled for about three years, I would say, wow. off of it. It was a big one. I, I, I was very angry, and I was angry at the world, uh, and a lot of the people close around me, the people that were closest to me probably suffered from that quite a bit, so apologies to all of you who are listening. But uh, it's an awful thing to have uh, a white picket fence and be miserable. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a, and it, it feels very, very... Um, asshole-ish, if you will. It feels uh, two-faced yeah. and, and you can't get out of it at the same time because your brain just keeps going in circles on uh, on that kind of stuff. So that was a, a moment in my life where, you know, that lasted quite some time where I learned uh, quite a bit. And I think it's made me a better businessman now that I'm going and I'm raising money and I'm dotting. I'm never moving the decimal for anybody. If I move it, it's to the right, not to the left, but whatever. But I want everything to be down on paper and I want everybody to win. And I don't take finder's fees, for example. I don't take money off the table uh, just you know, in certain ways and so on. I, and I'm probably too generous with my time. I, I probably don't take a big enough percentage than I should. But I'm always erring on that side because I know I know and I felt what it's like to be on the other side. So maybe that's helped me raise more money. It's definitely made me who I am. It definitely uh, kicked me hard in the head and made me rethink uh, life. And, um, and I'm grateful for it at the end of the day. So, Yeah, I think that for me, you know, when I, I've had certainly my own failures and, and I'm now able to look back on all of it and go, it's interesting how ultimately the universe seems to conspire to get you going in a particular direction. And it always, because it doesn't look the way we think it's going to look, we consider that a failure, but it's always in reflection that you go, Hey, you know something, if that wouldn't have happened, this wouldn't have been where I am today. So I always look at it, but I'm, I'm always interested to hear people's you know view of that world. Now, was that, would you consider that a fork in the road for you? Or was there a specific fork in the road for you that took you onto a path that really opened up this journey called real estate investing, business, whatever it might be for you. When you think about in your life, was there a big fork in the road for you? That's a good question. I I mean, the engineering me will say that every decision you make is a fork in the road. <laughs> <laughs> There's a darn engineer coming out again. But you're trying to think of these moments that exist in movies and elsewhere that, uh, you know, they run for the airplane and either make it and get the girl or they don't make it and get the girl, right? Uh, forks in the road. Let me try to think here. I mean, that was definitely a fork in the road. Um, having my, 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 
my first child and my second child, those were both big forks in the road. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to fall in love a, a second time and to see life through a different lens and get another meaning as to, hey, this is what I'm I'm here for and so on. So that's an interesting fork. I know that when the kids move out in a couple of years or, you know, between two and five years from now, uh, there'll be another fork in the road uh, that will not be of my choosing. But, uh, you know, then the decision will be what to do next and so on. So there's lots of forks. And uh, for in specific with real estate, the fork was very simply rich dad, poor dad. It's just, look, I got to do something here. I can't expose myself to the markets any more than I already am. That's great. So, so- Said, you know, maybe I'll take it on a little bit different uh, path just quickly is, you know, what advice, there's a question of what advice, I'm going to ask you two questions. The first one will be, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? You're nowhere near as good as you think you are. Mm. And you've got a lot to learn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's always good advice. Um, And then what do you, what do you, what advice do you want to give your 65-year-old self? Stay healthy. Ah. Keep exercising. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. So, so true. Mark, as we start to uh, wind down the show, we're into the rapid fire questions segment of the show where I like to just finish off with some quick, have a couple of laughs and maybe some moments of brilliance. You ready? Yep. Okay. So this is aside from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, what's one of the most impactful books you've read that you would even gift? Four Hour Work Week. Uh, that's another one. Tim did a great job. T- Tim Ferriss, that, that is a book that uh, I read years ago. I actually keep threatening to reread it because there's lots of great ideas in there. That's why I do my outsourcing, uh, get my bookkeeping done in India, for example, uh, get things done at a fraction of the cost. That's why I have paperless office, et cetera, et cetera. I'm trying. It's all about reducing the amount of time you spend on different things, more efficiency. Mm-hmm. So this is a question for you, especially given our delegation conversation. What job do you do even though you hate it because you're really good at it? Oh, I have to hate it. Hate's a strong word. Yeah. I dislike it a lot. I don't like following up with my bookkeepers when they say you missed this receipt, you missed that receipt. I say, oh, come on, can't you just look for it in my files somewhere? Uh, the bookkeeping and the paperwork, uh, the month over month stuff is really annoying. It's yeah, a grind, I'm, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm good at it, but it's super annoying. I, I don't like it either. What's your favorite swear word? Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? I like to tell people I believe in you. I don't know if it's an inspirational quote, but if somebody says, blah, 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 I said, look, I believe in you. I don't think people hear that often enough. Mm, I love that. What profession would you want to try other than what you're doing today? Stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy. Wow. Absolutely. That's cool. I did a, I did a couple of times, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. That's great. So if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you get to the gates? Ready for another adventure? Let's do it again. Let's learn some more. Room, desk, or your car? What do you clean first? The desk. The desk, the desk, the desk is always... Car I couldn't care less about. So, yeah. Your desk got to be neat and tidy. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a favorite tune? I like Just Breathe right now by Pearl Jam. The words are very good to that one. Just Breathe. And Someday Never Comes by CCR is always a classic up there. Mm Mm-hmm. And Band Down the Run by Paul McCartney's three songs. <laughs> there we one. go. Yeah, now we're going. <laughs> you get the cheat with that one. 
Do you have a favorite movie? Oh man, I liked Malcolm X years and years ago. That yeah. was really eye-opening. Yeah. In terms of what it did for me at that moment and and where I was in my life and how it changed things. Yeah. Because that was a long time ago. So it came to yeah. the top of mind really fast for you. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, that, that movie stuck with me for, for years and years and years. It's uh, And I think it's still relevant today, uh, the way people treat each other and, and so on. You know, my I'm in big in basketball. And my son is in basketball. And that's where you see a lot of uh, black people and so on. And, and you don't see them everywhere else where I live. I mean, hockey rinks, you don't, and, and so on. And you see what they've gone through. And, uh, and one of the ways to react was what happened in Malcolm X. And I, I that's, that was, that was crazy. It was a crazy movie. Mm. Yeah. Mark, what are you grateful for? My health first, my family second. I mean, I'm grateful just to open my eyes this morning, right? That was great. That was fun. I was, I'm grateful for my family. They seem to be healthy, moving along the way. And um, I'm definitely grateful for this country that uh, lets us uh, do what we need to do to move forward and take care of each other. Wow. You hit on a whole bunch there that are just... Yeah, I would concur. That's a good to get present to just being grateful for all of what you just described. I'm grateful for you being on the show. And I'm also grateful to have this podcast as a way of, you know, supporting others and having them learn and get guidance based on others' experience. And uh, thank you. I'm very grateful for you sharing what you uh, did today, Mark. That was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.